1: To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first we would like to
0: say a few words. Nitwit. Blubber. Oddment. Tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is Is Draco a werewolf? Hello, listeners. I'm Ria, and this week I'm arguing Draco is a werewolf. And I'm Jem, and this week I'm arguing that Draco is not a werewolf. <laughs> okay. Before we get into the topic of today, first we're just going to do a
1: little review of the new portkey games, Hogwarts Mystery.
0: Yeah. So this is exciting. Um, I've been playing this game for like over two months now mm-hmm. because I got it when it was like still in its first version in beta. Yeah. So I've seen how it's sort of evolved over the past two mm-hmm. months, which has been quite interesting yeah, to watch. It was really
1: cool. The um, beta um it was really cool that beta got released yeah. in Australia, maybe just Australia, but I just know that it was just in Australia. Um earlier than the actual game went up. So it's a hmm. mobile app. Um where you it's like a role-playing game. So you get to create yeah. a character and you attend Hogwarts and you have to like solve a mystery over your presumably seven years in attendance at Hogwarts. Got anything else to say about like the, how the game works, the game mechanics?
0: No, not really. That's basically the gist of it. It's like, it's it's sort of like a choose your own adventure thing, except you only have limited options. Um, you can't like enter in your own options when it comes to dialogue or choice making. It's got to be... Yeah. One of three choices usually, so that can be a bit limiting at times. But you know, it's a mobile game. I'm not expecting. Yes, we've both been playing for a while.
1: Um, we're just going to talk about like our thoughts about it, what we like, what we don't like. Um, We're not really going to be spoiling the story or anything because we're both pretty early on in the story. So you can listen to this and not be, not have the game wrecked for you. But if you don't want to hear anything about the game at all, just skip ahead, like I don't know, five or ten minutes, um, and then we'll get into the proper episode.
0: I think some of the things that I like about the Excellent. game is that you can choose your own house. That's great. I would have hated to have like gone through all of that effort and then get to the point where you're sorted and you get sorted into a house that you don't want to be in and it's like, oh like and then yes. you have to maybe try and restart the game, but you can't do that. So that would be yeah I'd- frustrating. Yeah. Um Having said that, because of course both you and I chose to mm-hmm. go to Slytherin House. There are some things about the game that just don't quite make sense if you're playing as a Slytherin, at least especially so in the first version of the game. The second version is doing a bit better, but um, it's yeah. definitely clear in a lot of parts that the game was designed for you to be playing as a Gryffindor character rather than a Slytherin character. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like everyone keeps describing you as being so brave all the time and it's like, oh, whatever. It's like, even if you just do something intelligent or if you just do something that's empathetic, they're like, oh, you're always so brave. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's constantly, you know,
1: you're the bravest person in our year. You're the best at magic. You're so great and amazing. I'm like, please leave me alone. (laughs) I don't, just let me fade into the shadows. I don't want this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I get that that's part of the game because your playing is like, I guess you're playing as the Mary Sue. That's like the saver of the year or whatever. But anyway, um, and there are certain things that like are part of the plot line. So like this is introduced pretty early on. So it's not much of a spoiler, but Marula Snide, who I think you have a lot to talk about. Marula Snide is like the bully. Yeah. She's the original Slytherin bitch. Um, And so it's, it doesn't quite make sense in terms of Mm -hmm. like, if, But if both of you are being punished for something that you've done, you'll lose house points, but then she won't receive any punishment. And it's like, she's in the same house as me. She should be losing house points as well or getting detention or whatever. And it's just like a bit odd. Yeah. Things will happen where like, you'll get in
1: an argument during potions class and Snape will come up and be like, hey, Rhea, five points from Slytherin and like, why are you doing this? This makes no sense. And then your prefect will come over and be like, you lost Slytherin house points by fighting with Marula. And I'm like, Slytherin Marula's in Slytherin. What are you talking about? What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it doesn't make sense when you're in the same house as the person who's bullying you and she's not getting like any sort of, (laughs) consequences she's getting no consequences for her actions Um (laughs) it only makes sense if you the player are in gryffindor hufflepuff or ravenclaw and she's in slytherin because then you would assume she is receiving consequences but they just don't affect you
0: yeah oh another thing i'll say about um because i think that was a lot of the critique that they were getting from the first version of the game so the updates have made it clear that they're going to be introducing slytherin allies in the future and like, there's a new part of the update where you can see, where you can see the relationships that you formed. So it's got relationships with like fucking Rowan and Ben and Penny and all that sort of shit. And then like, it has relationships with people that you haven't met yet, which you, which I assume you'll meet later in the plot. And one of them is this, um, <laughs> Slytherin boy called Barnaby. So I think he's going to be like the Slytherin, com- like companion that you make in the future. So that's, that's all right. Um, I am noticing a significant lack of Ravenclaw companions. Literally, I can't name one character right now that is a Ravenclaw that I've interacted with so far. I'm I'm like at the end of my second year and I haven't talked to a single Ravenclaw, which is funny.
1: It's a bit weird because the character that you end up as BFFs with, um, I'm just going to say a little bit about the plot. So basically the game begins in Diagon Alley. Um, you meet a person there whose name is Rowan, and we're not sure, but we think Rowan's, like, gender-fluid, so depending on if you play as a witch or a wizard, the two genders, mm. um, Rowan will either be a male or female so they can partner up with you. So you meet this yeah. person, Rowan, and they're like, I'm a desperate loser, and everyone hates me, and you're like, okay, and then they just cling on to you forever, and you cannot get rid of them. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Rowan.
0: Oh... <laughs> uh... She's a limpet. She's such a nerd. I I was okay with her at the beginning, but she's so clingy. I just don't want to be around her. Um, (laughs) She's very,
1: very, very smart, very bookish, very introverted. And it really seems like she would fit in well with Ravenclaw. Like she never wants to do anything dangerous. And she's always like, I just want to be the one who's researching. But she's she's in the house that you choose. So no matter which house you end up in, she's your housemate. And it's like, you're just not
0: a Slytherin. You just chose this house because I was in it and you can't get rid of me. (laughs) And I have confirmation of this because one of my friends who's a Hufflepuff, I've set her up with this game too and was watching her play the first bit of it. And um, Rowan, yes, does end up in Hufflepuff with you. And there are some slight differences into the way people interact with you when you're in Hufflepuff. Like Marilla Snide doesn't say, oh, you're you're such a disgrace to Slytherin when she first meets you. She says, no wonder you're a Hufflepuff when she first meets, you, well, first meets you, which is a bit rough. Um So I wonder, like, what the variations of that are if you're gripping to my Slytherin. But, yeah. Um But the Hufflepuff common room looks really pretty. I also like in the new update they've, like, changed mm-hmm. the lessons because before in the old update the lessons, like, because you go into a lesson and it's like, this lesson yeah. is five hours long and you have to earn five stars or whatever, which means that you have to, like, keep on – earning points in a five hours time limit and if you happen to take longer than that you'll fail the class and that used to be really boring it used to be like you just like click on things but now it's like they have more little activities throughout the lesson and it's like Mm -hmm. more interesting at least to play so that's good i do like it's funny the way the game's set up is that you use energy for actions and like certain actions would be like oh gossip is like one thing of energy but then like like learn to cast a spell is like four things of energy or whatever and um if you run out of energy it's like oh buy more energy and it's like i would never fucking spend money (laughs) on anything (laughs) in this game (laughs) so it's the same as like
1: any mobile game you either have to wait hours and hours and hours or you just pay pay to play mechanics um it's quite dangerous because i accidentally spend like 200 because i have no self-discipline so what <laughs>
0: don't do that don't spend your money on this <laughs> oh my gosh Ria. <laughs> i know i'm terrible wild um yeah i haven't played, paid for a single thing in this game i just waited out which is actually better because like i'm a busy gal so i can like start something and be like oh this is an eight hour long lesson i'll just like do this and then i'll like go to work and live my life and then come back at the end of my shift and be like oh i can just finish this lesson and i'm done so easy as yeah that is
1: that's the proper way to play the game <laughs> one thing i really like about it is i really like the graphics. They, the game looks like the old PC games, which is a big, like, nostalgia hit for me.
0: Yeah, I didn't even realize that. I don't like the fashion choices or the hair choices. They're heinous. Like, I understand that the game's set in the 80s, but I want more 80s fashion, not this trash. Like, like, I was looking through the options and it's like some weird ragdoll sort of outfits. I'm like, what is this? Where are like, the high-waisted jeans and cool jackets. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the sort of stuff I want to be wearing.
1: Yeah. All the clothes are really ugly and it won't let me have my hair as a crazy color. I'm only allowed to be like blonde brunette redhead, like the actual hair colors. I want blue and pink.
0: Yeah. Basically, I want to look like (laughs) Tonks, which I haven't met yet, but I really want to. I think the teachers are really interesting. I like that McGonagall just likes and trusts us instantly. Another thing that makes me think that you're supposed to be playing this game as a Gryffindor, but maybe that's just my bias. Yeah. Snape hates you and Muggle loves you. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, Snape is such a... <laughs> Snape is such an asshole, And I take every opportunity I can to rag on him because he just hates me for no reason. Because you can choose, like, dialogue options. And so sometimes... There'll they'll usually be dialogue in such a way where it's, like, the right thing to say, the okay okay thing to say, and they're just plain out insulting someone. And so when it, sometimes when it comes to talking to Snape, if he's just being a dick to me for no reason, I'll just be like, you know what? You do look like a house elf, you bitch. <laughs> Eat me. Marula Snide. Tell us about Marula Snide, Maria. Yeah, okay. So Marula's great. I
1: just 100% she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I hate her. <laughs> she's basically, she's the Draco Malfoy character. She's in Slytherin, which is cool because it means we're bunk mates because we're both in Slytherin um uh she hates you for absolutely no reason it has something to do with the main plot of the game which is uh you have an elder brother who's gone missing because he went crazy looking for something called the curse vaults and you're also trying to find the curse vaults and so is marula it i don't really know what's going on because i haven't gotten that far in the game yet uh yeah but she hates you because of something to do with your brother yeah and she hates you because you're the best person in the year you're the best at magic and she wants to be the best at magic um um I love her. I think she's the best character in the game. I 100% want to bang her. Definitely going to try and seduce her. She looks like... <laughs> I don't know if that's an option the game is going to give me. I
0: don't think it is.
1: <laughs> but I really hope so. Definitely just...
0: She's got fucking red eyes and like a hair that's just like so messy and disgusting. Yuck. And she like literally tries to kill you in the first the first like second that she meets you. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> the first thing she does is try to kill you. <laughs> I'm so she's the best. I just before I'd even started playing the game showed me the 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 opening screen, which is like Dumbledore, Snape, Marula, Rowan, and Penny. And I'm like, oh, check out that girl with that crazy eye makeup and like bed hair. Yep, gonna get in her pants. <laughs> she's great. <laughs> but yeah, other characters. Rowan's your best friend. We've gone over how she's the worst person. <laughs> She's she's not the worst. She's just really annoying. Like I just don't like her. Half the interactions you have with her is she runs up and she's like, "I'm panicky and I feel upset," and then you have to spend like two hours trying to calm her down. And I'm like, I don't care if you're upset. Get away from me. It's not my problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm more of a Penny sort of girl. Penny's real nice. She's real popular. She's really good at potions. She's just like cool and easygoing. Like I want to bang Penny.
1: (laughs) Penny's great. Penny is – her thing is, like, she's the most popular girl at Hogwarts, which is frankly ridiculous because I don't care how great Penny is. She's an 11-year-old in a school full of teenagers. (laughs) No 17-year-old is, like, the most popular person I know is this fucking (laughs) (laughs) 11-year-old. But, yeah, she's cute, she's funny, she knows everyone, she's good at potions. I like her because she's the only one of your friends so far that I've met Who comes up to you, not with a list of problems. Like, she's like, hey, I'm fun and cool, want to hang out? I'm like, yes, please. And there's also the other main character that I've met so far is Mm -hmm. Ben, who is the muggle-born Gryffindor boy. And his main character trait is cowardice. (sighs) So (laughs) he doesn't belong in Gryffindor because he's terrified of everything. He knows all of the hiding places. There's like this major plot line where he's hidden and you have to go looking for him. And I'm like, I don't want to look at this boy. Leave me alone. I hate him. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm very bitter. Yeah. See, this is why Penny and Marula are the best characters because they are the two characters who don't come to you with constant whining. Rowan and Ben are just whining and solving their problems. I don't, they're
0: not my friends. Get away. <laughs> Limpets. I will say one of my favorite things to do in the game is duel people. Yep. Because uh, dueling is really fun because you, you can just throw rocks at people as a move and it like takes away literally half their energy. They just like fall over. <laughs> yeah.
1: One trick dueling. Fuck magic. Magic is useless. Don't use any spells. Just distract them until they are looking the other way and then chuck a rock at their head until they die. <laughs> That's how I've won every duel.
0: Yeah. Two rocks mm-hmm. and they're down. <laughs> don't have to cast a single spell and then at the end of the duel they're like wow you're so good at magic I'm like bitch I was just throwing rocks at you (laughs) other advice
1: for the game is that get free energy by tapping stuff on different levels it
0: renews every couple of hours so that's good to give you a bit of a boost if you're running low Yeah. So on the transfiguration level, you tap some books on a bench. On the grounds level, you tap the stick and Fang comes running up and takes it away. It's great. Um, on the, on the great hall level, you tap one of the flaming columns next to the great hall doors. On the dungeons level, you tap the house elf. On the charms room level, you tap the the first portrait you see, which has, which is blank, but then a lady appears laughing. And then on the Dumbledore's office level, you tap. A, the second portrait you see, and then the two pumpkins get put on the portrait. So, hacks. You just had that whole thing memorized. I was going to be like, one of them's a house elf, one of them's
1: the dog, and the rest you have to find on your own because I haven't got them memorized. (laughs) But you just knew them all. Yeah, I've been
0: playing this game a lot, Ria, (laughs) because I want to figure out the mystery.
1: Yeah, I am very interested. That's one thing that I'm really enjoying. I really want to know what's going on, and I'm loving investigating Hogwarts and interacting with people and trying to solve a mystery. It's fun. It's like I'm in the first couple of books. Okay. So we should probably move on from this game now because we've been talking about it for
0: a while. Let's get into the proper episode. Yes. So is Draco a werewolf? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think he is. So the theory that Draco is a werewolf is, it's like one of those big theories in the Harry Potter fandom that's been passed around a lot and has even filtered out into the general public because it's such a popular headcanon. It started uh-huh. in the half when the Half Blood Prince came out, so like way back when the books were still being published. Uh huh. The theory goes that in between the fifth and the sixth books, Voldemort sent Fenrir Greyback to bite Draco Malfoy and transform him into a werewolf as a punishment to Lucius Malfoy because Lucius Malfoy failed to retrieve the prophecy.
0: Right.
1: So, what do you think of that? <laughs>
0: Uh, unlikely, because why would Voldemort want to soil the pure blood of the Malfoy family? Sure, Lucius ought to be punished, but he's already in Azkaban. Isn't that punishment enough? No, absolutely not. Voldemort didn't send him to Azkaban. That was the Ministry of Magic. That's not
1: Voldemort's punishment. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but Voldemort has another punishment in the fact that he's setting Draco up to do the near impossible task of murdering Albus Dumbledore. Mm. I think he did both of those things. He set him up to kill Albus Dumbledore and also made him a werewolf. But, like, why would he want to do that, though? What's the benefit of making Draco Malfoy a werewolf when he wants Draco Malfoy to kill Dumbledore at Hogwarts? Wouldn't that make it more difficult for him to complete his task? Yeah, but he doesn't want Draco to complete his task. He's supposed to fail to give Voldemort an
1: excuse to murder him.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, anyway, I'm going to go, I'm going to start with evidence against Draco being a Death Eater. Okay, so first of all, uh, right. the first hint that we get that Draco might have become a Death Eater is when Harry, Ron, and Hermione follow him under the invisibility cloak to Borgen and Burks and eavesdrop on a conversation that he has there. During that conversation, Draco pulls back his yeah. sleeves, shows Borgen something on his arm, and Borgen freaks out. He's terrified, and Draco's like, you better do what I say. Uh, and Harry assumes at the time that that's the dark mark, and he's showing Borgan, like evidence that he's aligned with Voldemort. But we never actually see the dark mark, so that's not confirmed. Mm-hmm. But we do see the dark mark in the movie. Yeah, I don't care about the movie. <laughs> I'm straight up ignoring the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is just about the book. What? That's clear evidence in the
0: sixth movie. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, I'm not gonna reference the movie.
0: In the sixth movie, Draco pulls pulls up his sleeve and yeah. has a dark mark on okay, his Okay, this mo- this
1: theory was created before the movie came out. <laughs> so to pretend the movie doesn't exist, this is a book exclusive theory. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh okay. I guess I'll just deny yeah. that clear and shining evidence. Yes. Which clearly negates your entire argument just because Yeah. That seems to be a theory. Right, How is that then. unreasonable? <laughs> it is unreasonable because like theories should only be str- should be strong enough to adapt to different circumstances. But this one is clearly broken apart by the fact that in Not the single really. thing. The, books are, Draco the has movies are adaptations of the books. They
1: take things that don't happen in the books and things that do happen in the books and they change them. There's no reason why this theory couldn't be true in the book and they just decided to change it in the movie. Possibly because it was never fully realized in the book. I'll go into that later. Continue. Okay. So more evidence against him being a Death Eater. So Harry jumps to that conclusion that he's a Death Eater and then he becomes completely obsessed with that idea. And it, like, consumes him. He gets worse and worse as the year goes on. But all the way through, Mm -hmm. Hermione doesn't agree with him. Usually, when Hermione says something, she's right, unless she's angry. And when Ron says something, he's wrong, unless he's joking. When he's joking, he's like a fucking divination master. Ron knows everything when he's joking. But the point stands that Hermione is
0: usually right, and she isn't in this Mm -hmm. situation. Okay, but Hermione isn't always usually right. In sixth book, again, Hermione believes that the Half-Blood Prince is um, Eileen Princeton, right? Who is actually Snape's mother. She, that's not, she wasn't right there. But she was kind of right. She was on the right track. It was Snape. Um, being on the right track isn't the same as being right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just because Harry is often wrong and Hermione is often right doesn't mean that Harry is always wrong and Hermione is always right. That's very flimsy evidence. No,
1: but I think it it lends some authority to this because just in terms of basic storytelling, it seems weird that Harry just makes this big leap of logic and everyone is against him, but he just keeps being committed to it and he gets sort of crazy. Like, he's following Draco He's spending hours and hours outside of the room of requirement trying to break in and prove his theory right. It doesn't make sense for Harry to make this big assumption and then it pays off that he was correct the whole time. Like when you look at his behaviour, he's acting really, really strange. He makes this big crazy leap of logic about Draco based on very little evidence and then he pursues it with such such obsessiveness He stalks Draco all all over the castle. He eavesdrops on his conversations. He hides outside the – he spends hours and hours outside the room of requirement trying to break in. He neglects the uh, tasks that Dumbledore has given him, searching for Horcruxes and interrogating Slughorn, in favour of this obsession with Draco. From a story writing perspective, a good payoff for that kind of story isn't, and it turns out he was right all along – A better sort of payoff is something like, it turns out he was on the right track, but his initial assumption was wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would make more sense if the payoff was not that Draco was a
0: Death Eater. The payoff was Draco was after Dumbledore,
1: but it turns out he was never a Death Eater at all.
0: I know what you're hinting at here, and I agree with you, but I disagree with you as well, because the whole point of Harry stalking Draco wasn't just that, oh, I know he's a Death Eater. Um, It was also, Draco's up to something. So the whole book with him and his investigations and his eavesdropping was him trying to find out what Draco was up to. And the payoff of of that Mm. was he didn't get, get there in time. He didn't figure out in time what Draco was up to. And so that was devastating because obviously that led to Dumbledore's death. Also, it is a massive payoff to be you were right all along because Harry was the only person that believed Draco was a Death Eater. He tried telling mm-hmm. it to Hermione, Ron, Lupin, Arthur, like everyone that he could speak to and about this issue, of course, and even Dumbledore, and none of them believed him. So it is a payoff to say, look, I was right all along. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, there's another similar plot line in the sixth Harry Potter book in which Harry is trying to, is sort of has this book, right? The Half-Blood Prince's book. And Hermione is always trying to figure out who the Half-Blood mm-hmm. Prince is. And Harry has a bit of like curiosity about it as well, but not really anything more than a, a fantasy of oh maybe it could be my dad or maybe it was this cool guy that I wish I'd met and so that is a the payoff of that is that wow it turns out to be snape but it turns out this uh, figure that I've been idolizing was actually dangerous and a betrayer so that is a sort of subversion and it goes back to what you were harking at where it's like oh he was he was convinced of this one thing the whole time but then it turned out he was wrong so that plot already exists in the half-blood prince it's the half-blood prince plot <laughs> all right. <laughs> the main plot
1: (laughs) okay uh my final piece of evidence that draco is not a death eater has to do with the the barrier around the tower so the tower where draco confronts dumbledore and attempts to murder him but that goes wrong so there's a kind of force field or magical barrier would be a better way to describe it not force field there is a magical right. barrier protecting the door of that tower, which stops anybody who isn't branded with a dark mark yes. from being able to get inside. The key thing there is that barrier goes up immediately after Draco has gone up the tower, and it comes down immediately before Draco leaves, which is interesting because if Draco's branded with a dark mark, why do that? Mm-hmm. Why not just leave the barrier there, and, like, why clear the way behind him?
0: Okay, well, the reason why... It went up after Draco went up there. It was pure coincidence. That was because he was being joined by his Death Theatre friends, who thought to put that precaution. No, it wasn't the it wasn't the Death Eaters put that there. It was no, yeah, it was the Death Eaters who put that there. Sorry, um, that was after his Death Theatre friends went up there. Right, so that's fine. And then coming back down, Fenrir Greybrack was with them. Fenrir Greyback doesn't have a dark mark, so they had to get rid of it in order for Fenrir Greyback to come through. Oh, damn. I didn't remember that. Okay. Damn it. (laughs) I don't like how well you're arguing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're not just all going to walk through and Fenrir's like bumping against the barrier like, please, and they're like, oh, fuck off, Fenrir, and they just walk off. (laughs) That is something they would do, though. (laughs) Fuck you.
1: I don't like how well you're arguing against me. (laughs) It doesn't bode well. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk a bit more about Voldemort's reasons for marking Draco. We've already gone into it. In the book, it's like, okay, he gave him the dark mark to punish Lucius and to set Draco up with this impossible task, which he would fail, and then Voldemort could murder him and appear justified in front of his followers. Because he can't just murder Draco for no reason because, you know, he's the son and heir of an important family, blah, blah, blah. He's got to keep up his pretenses. I just think that that's not enough of a punishment for Lucius because Lucius, he didn't only cost Voldemort the prophecy, which by the way, Voldemort believes is his one ticket to figuring out how to defeat Harry. He's also responsible for one of Voldemort's Horcruxes being destroyed. I think it's, it's shocking that Lucius is even alive. And I think the only reason he is alive is because he has more like power, status, money than the other Death Eaters. And Voldemort wants to use his mansion as a hideout and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But he needs to be punished still.
0: Yes. Well, if you remember, Lucius's punishment doesn't mm-hmm. stop after 6th book. In 7th book, Voldemort, yep. sh- Voldemort shacks up in Malfoy Manor. Voldemort tortures mm-hmm. and antagonizes the Malfoys consistently. He takes Lucius's wand and basically breaks it in his duel with Harry. In the sky. He belittles Draco and threatens Narcissa a lot. So it's not as if Lucius gets off easy at all. No. But this is all evidence
1: supporting me. Voldemort just keeps hassling Lucius. Like, he's not willing to just let things go. So it seems like his initial punishment should be pretty damn severe as well. If Voldemort's just like, well, you're basically dead to me now. I'm just going to keep using you and messing with you. And... We also know that Voldemort has a practice of using Fenrir Greyback to attack the children of people who have displeased him. That's actually – that whole plotline is actually introduced in this book at Christmas time, I believe, where Lucius is discussing with Harry how he was bitten. Lupin. That seems like it's set up for, like, a reveal at the end, but it doesn't quite go anywhere because at the end Fenrir just attacks Bill and Bill isn't transformed into a werewolf.
0: Yeah, well – That doesn't mean that the plot is necessarily about Draco. No, but it could
1: be. Like, I think that would be a really awful, awful punishment for Lucius. Like, his only son and heir is now no longer a pureblood. By the reasoning of people like Voldemort and Lucius, he's not a real wizard anymore, and he's barely even a person.
0: Right. Can I just interject here with some solid evidence for my argument, though? So... If you begin, if you remember at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the sixth book, there's a scene where Bellatrix and Narcissa go and visit Snape. Narcissa is basically begging Snape Mm -hmm. to help her son and to protect him and to do the deed should Mm -hmm. Malfoy, should Draco not be able to do it. Now, throughout this scene, why wouldn't have Narcissa said something along the lines of, look, my son needs your help in more than one way. He needs Wolfsbane potion and he needs you to take care, like he needs you to look out for him because now he's a werewolf. None of her language seemed to indicate that her son had just been turned into a werewolf at all. And neither did Bellatrix's.
1: Yeah. I think it's because at that point they don't know what's going to happen. At that point, Draco hasn't been bitten. So like, first of all, None of the lines specifically say Draco is going to become a Death Eater. So you can read that scene with the idea that the werewolf thing is true and it still makes sense. But if you want to be better and more in character. <laughs> okay. So assume that Voldemort has come to Narcissa and Draco and said something along the lines of, um, I'm going to bestow upon Draco a great gift and I'm going to give him a chance to prove himself. Something really vague like that. And They've assumed that he means well he's going to mark him, he's gonna make him a death eater, and and he's gonna give him the task to kill Dumbledore. Or maybe that was outlined for them. So Narcissa starts freaking out because she's like, well, my son's going to be marked, and he's gonna fail, and he's gonna die, and blah, blah, blah. So she runs off with She runs off to get Snape's help, and Bellatrix follows her. And this is actually if you look at the sort of language Bellatrix uses, she's saying things like, um, Draco is excited, he wants he wants this chance to prove himself, he is going to be honored. It's all like future sort of tests, like implying something's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So I think they like Voldemort as an extra fucking cruel thing because he's an asshole, set them up to believe that Draco is going to be honored and inducted into the Death Eaters and then turned around and had very bite him. Okay. That is my opinion.
0: <laughs> okay. I don't believe that mm-hmm. but that's your opinion I guess. Yeah. Can I also point to a different scene in the Deathly Hallows? Mm-hmm. Dumbledore in in a flashback when you're, when Harry's sifting through Snape's memories Dumbledore is talking about how Snape has to protect the poor boy indicating Draco and obviously do the deed killing him. where Snape has to kill Dumbledore? In this conversation, again, it doesn't come up. At- yeah, there's but- no hints at all to indicate that Draco was a werewolf. There's also n- nothing that Dumbledore says along the lines of, oh, I'll open up the Whomping Willow again so that he can transform Bear or anything along those lines. Okay. When was that exactly? Deathly Hallows. In, in, the, in the flashback when we're looking through the prince's memories and Snape is talking about how, oh, I, I've, made, I've made the unbreakable vow and they've asked me to kill you if Draco can't do it. But couldn't that have happened,
1: like, immediately after his conversation with Narcissa and Bellatrix? It was during school, though. It was at the school. Just because they were physically at the school doesn't mean it was during the school holidays. From memory, wasn't that scene when Dumbledore hurt his arm and Snake was helping him, which happened during the school holidays? Oh. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. (laughs) So now I'm going to start with my of being of werewolf because I haven't actually gotten into my evidence for yet. <laughs> um, at Borgen and Ducks, Draco shows him. Draco shows Borgen the what I'm saying is the bite mark. I'm saying that Fenrir bit Draco okay. on the arm, like where the dark mark was supposed to go. All right, bye. as like, like even worse, like you can never be marked. Like you'll never be one of the Death Eaters. You're bitten. You're a werewolf now. Draco shows Borgon the bite and. He name-drops Fenrir Greyback, like he says specifically, you know Fenrir Greyback, right? He's a close, personal friend. Wouldn't it be awful if I had to send him over here to talk to you? That is just a threat, obviously. But it sort of implies that, like, Draco and Fenrir are quite close. Like, maybe Draco's part of his pack now, because Fenrir (laughs) has a pack of crazy, like, like, vicious animals. That would explain why Borgen is so terrified of Draco.
0: The Death Eaters constantly... The Death Eaters, like, make threats against people's families all the time using the Fenrir the Greyback. Because, like, what's worse than being killed by Death Eaters, having your children turn into werewolves, apparently. So I don't think that's evidence. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we can't vaccinate them. (laughs) Yeah. I I was about to say there's an analogy there. But, um... (laughs) I wouldn't call that evidence.
1: Why not? That's great evidence. (laughs) That's one way to interpret the scene, which
0: greatly supports my argument. It's one way to interpret the scene, but it's not the only way to interpret the scene. Draco could just simply be showing Borgen his dark mark. Borgen is threatened by this because it's like, oh, shit, this isn't just some petulant child. This is actually a Death Eater who has connections to Voldemort, who has returned, by the way. And so if he's threatening me with- a werewolf fight then i'm gonna take that seriously if he's threatening with a werewolf fight yeah because he's th- he's saying that fenrir Be- Greyback is a p- close personal friend and by the way that's that's the sort of shit that elit- elitist people say all the time if they've met like the president once it's like oh yes they're a close personal friend mm. that is the kind of shit that
1: draco specifically says all the time <laughs> he does it the year before when he's like oh yeah the owl examiners i know them all it's like no you don't <laughs> just a lie <laughs> Fast forward to On the Hogwarts Express. Um, there's that scene where Harry turns himself invisible and follows Theodore Knott back to his train compartment so he can overhear what Draco's saying. Draco is talking about how he doesn't need to be at school anymore. He's ready to move, to move on to bigger and better things. If he's a Death Eater, that doesn't quite make sense because he's still underage and he should still be studying magic, even if it's dark magic that he wants to learn. But it yeah, does so- make sense if he's like... <laughs> leaning into the werewolf side of himself like if he's trying to accept it like maybe grayback's gotten into his head and he's like you don't need magic anymore you're not you don't have to be a wizard you can get everything you want just by embracing your wolf side and at this point yeah. draco is still loyal to Voldemort, so he probably stink ah he probably thinks that like i can serve the dark lord yeah. really well if i'm like some kind of magical beast this is before he gets like a big dose of reality later on
0: I don't think so. I think when he says it's time for me to move on to bigger yeah. and greater things, look at look at the perspective of the sixth book. There are attacks against muggles from Death Eaters happening on the Reg. Like Voldemort's on the move, and so are his armies. They're gathering. They're getting giants. They're getting vampires. Maybe that's what Draco's thinking. It's like school's a waste of time. The war's starting. I want to be training with my uh, with my family and with actual death eaters that will teach me curses that are better than what I could learn from a- at Hogwarts. Cause at Hogwarts, they just learned defense against dark arts, not the actual dark arts. So that's what Draco means when he says, I want to move on to bigger and better things. He wants to be part of the war effort. He wants to be part of Voldemort's rise. Hmm. Maybe he wants to be a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Check out my incredible debate schools with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I love this. This is always the case in debate episodes. I'll come up with all these very clear arguments and then you'll just be like, but what about this? And you're just reiterating what you've already said. <laughs> that is classic. That is
1: so me. I just let you make your argument and then I'm like, but what if? And I say some snipe, stupid bullshit and act like it's a real argument. Classic elder sibling. So <laughs> throughout the book, draco is described as becoming increasingly sickly like he's pale he's tired this is supposedly from stress but like it could also be an indication of like regular transformations it sounds a lot like how lupin is described uh -uh. and (laughs) did you say
0: uh -uh? uh-uh uh-uh no Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh Lupin is only described as being sickly and like exhausted around the phase of a full moon. The rest of the time, he just looks shabby, but that's because of his clothing. Draco is sickly and stressed all the time. There's not a there's not a point throughout this book in which like Harry sees him and thinks that he looks healthy or fine. He's always described as like the 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 shadow eyed Draco or like the gaunt faced Draco. So being sickly all the time isn't an indication of werewolfness. Well, it's probably affecting him as a lot worse because he's not
1: used to it. Lupin's had, like, what, decades to get used to his transformations and figure out how to handle them. Draco's, like, getting the full brunt of it, and he hasn't figured out how to cope yet. Like, he's only just newly bitten.
0: From what we know about werewolves so far in the series, we just haven't seen that to be true. Werewolves are fine, but in between transformations, it's only around the phase of the moon that they actually get sickly and nervous and on edge, and yes.
1: (laughs) Well, I just think that like when you are just when you've just been bitten and you're still getting used to these transformations, you're still figuring out how to handle it, it's gonna take a harsher toll on you, like physically, mentally, psychologically. I think that's a really good explanation for the way Draco looks and behaves, in addition to the general stress that he's under because of having to kill Dumbledore.
0: Yeah. You know what's a better explanation for why he's always sickly and stressed? Just the general stress the having to kill Dumbledore, the fact that his father's in prison, the fact that he's failing his school exams, the fact that he's under pressure from Snape, the fact that he's going to be killed if he doesn't succeed, the fact that his mother's terrified for him, the fact that his aunt has been broken out of prison and she's a bit of a weird presence in his life. Yeah, the fact that reality is about to come crashing down on him, he's isolating himself from his friends because they don't understand what he's going through. But that's enough reason to be looking sick and disgusting.
1: I also think that he isn't taking Wolfsbane Potion. Like, I think that's part of the reason why it's worse with him than it is with Lupin. Of course he isn't taking it. He's not a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) No, he is a werewolf. And he's not taking Wolfsbane Potion and he's just transforming in the Room of Requirement. Because we know that he has access to the Room of Requirement and we know that the room can do anything you need it to do. So it would be a perfectly safe place for him to transform. Possibly he hasn't (laughs) told Snape what's going on. And... Or the other possibility is that he doesn't want to take the potion because Slughorn is the potions master now. And it would be highly suspicious if such large quantities of ingredients were going missing as to, as to explain the quantity of Wolfsbane potion that he would need to be taking regularly. Okay. Fast forward to book seven. We're done with book six now. I think it's the first scene right at the beginning when Voldemort finds out that Lupin and Tonks are having a baby He says to Draco, maybe you can babysit the cubs. That's a really weird line. The implication is just that, like, Draco is related to Tonks. But if he's a werewolf, that is a fucking cutting barb. Like, I, Voldemort, did this awful (laughs) thing to you, and now you're no better than these animals that we're going to kill. Like, what a massive middle finger to the entire
0: Malfoy family. Hey, Draco, maybe you can babysit the cubs. Fuck you. I will admit that is a sick burn. Um, however, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily tell us that Draco is in fact a werewolf. It could just be a dig at the fact that the Malfoy family is terrified. Draco is clearly terrified at that meeting. Draco is the only like child there. I mean, yes, he's 17, but he's a child and children usually babysit other children. So that's the implication there. Voldemort just wants to put Draco at the center of attention and frighten him a little bit.
1: But it's still a strange line, because to bring Draco to the centre of attention, you could just be like, Draco, maybe we'll give you the honour of slaughtering the cubs. That seems like, like, that's what you would do, obviously. If you had Lupin and Tonk's children, you would just kill them. You wouldn't keep them alive. But if the implication is, well, you're a werewolf and they will be werewolf babies,
0: it's like, add them to your pack. That makes sense. Did any of the Malfoys say something before Voldemort says that line so like what's the interaction okay so
1: I'll walk you through the whole conversation Voldemort I'm talking about your niece Bellatrix and yours Lucius and Narcissa she just married the werewolf Remus Lupin you must be so proud Bellatrix She's no niece of ours my lord we Narcissa and I have never set eyes on our sister since she married the mudblood this brat has neither to do has nothing to do with either of us nor any beast she marries Voldemort say you Draco will you babysit the cubs Many of our oldest family trees become a little diseased over time. You must prune yours. Must you not cut away those parts that threaten the health of the rest?
0: Yeah. So the Malfoys were brought into that conversation. It wasn't just Voldemort randomly pu- putting Draco at the center of attention.
1: Babysitting the cubs. Like To say that to another Death Eater about like, creatures that they think are unworthy of basic life is so strange. But if you're saying that to another werewolf... Like, you know, basically we'll come in and we'll kill the parents because the parents are blood traders and vermin, but maybe you can babysit the cubs. We'll take their children and we'll raise them as part of our regime of monsters. Like, that's the sort of logic that Voldemort would have. If Draco is just a, another death eater, babysit the cubs doesn't make any sense.
0: No, I mean, you, you said that why would Voldemort just bring Draco into this and make that jab about the cubs unless he was saying that Draco was a werewolf and the, and the cubs will be children werewolves. And so you can add them to the pack, but no Bellatrix has established that she and Narcissa were totally against this, um, the the marriage between Lupin and Tonks and were against their cousin. And Voldemort was making a bit of a veiled threat to both, to both of them by bringing Draco into it. It's like, Oh, what do you think Draco? What are you going to say? And then, Bellatrix steps in. Is it Bellatrix or Narcissa who says that we need to prune the family tree? Bellatrix would say that. So, yeah. That's Voldemort.
1: Voldemort was still saying that. It was still him talking.
0: Okay. right There you go. I don't think this is meant to be a joke at Draco's expense. I think this is meant to be a joke at Remus and Tonks' expense. The joke is like, ha she's married a werewolf, so she's going to have hybrid cub babies. And he's just sort of pu- like pushing that onto draco because he knows that voldemort knows that when he's being joking draco's like frightened because he doesn't know how to respond he doesn't know whether he should laugh or agree or what so it's just funny to watch him squirm a little bit okay look, i'm willing to accept that it's strange that this this one line is the hill
1: we've both decided that we want to die on <laughs> no i'm right <laughs> everything else we're it's like yeah here's the evidence here's the counter argument, whatever but this one line like let me look up the fucking dialogue <laughs> we not going to get into this. <laughs> Look, listeners, you decide. What do you think? Werewolf, not werewolf. Okay, so Draco being a werewolf makes it easier to understand why at the end of the books the Malfoys are willing to switch sides. Because we know that Narcissa will do anything to protect Draco and it makes sense for them to turn on Voldemort if he's no longer one of the pure-blood elite that can be expected to have this sort of privileged existence in Voldemort's new regime. If Draco is going to be basically considered like scum and a beast, then it makes sense that they should swap sides as soon as possible.
0: I don't think that that's the reason that they decided to switch sides. I think the reason they decided to switch sides is because they were battle-weary, terrified of what Voldemort's new world had become. That the fact that Voldemort just obviously didn't give a shit about the Malfoy family anymore, their prestige had gone. And the fact that the battle had gotten so much that so many people had died and Narcissa was just terrified for the welfare of her son and husband. I think that those are the reasons why they decided to flee and change sides in the last battle. Not the fact that, oh, if the new world order does come into place, Draco will be treated as lesser than. No, they were terrified for their lives.
1: Yeah. All of those things you're saying are true. It just adds an extra dimension to it if you consider the possibility that Draco was also a werewolf. Like, it just
0: provides more motivation. Maybe so, but it's just not... There's no evidence... Like, all the evidence you've been providing to me that Draco's a werewolf could just be evidence of Draco is a Death Eater. (laughs) Like, and a human boy. He's a real boy! Um, (laughs) You haven't convinced me.
1: (laughs) Okay, I've got two more
0: things. Hit me. But this is my movie evidence, so it's not as good. (laughs) Because I... Oh, so now the movies are coming into play. (laughs) Yeah, not the sixth movie. Bullshit. All right. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, if the movies are coming into play now, I have some things to say about the movies as well. Would that that go to my argument?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll let you go first because my evidence is flimsy, so you can make your movie
0: arguments. (laughs) Right. In the Battle of Hogwarts in Book 7 and Movie 8, Fenrir Greyback attacks Lavender Brown in werewolf form. Tonks is anxious to find Remus, perhaps not just because he is her husband, but because he is a werewolf, and if he hasn't been potioned, the people around him might be in danger. There is no indication that Fenrir can willingly change into his wolf form. This goes against the established law of the universe anyway. Lupin's corpse was found as a human, yes. However, perhaps when a werewolf is killed, they revert back to human form. All of this evidence to me indicates that the Battle of Hogwarts occurred on the night of a full moon. Draco Malfoy is running around during the Battle of Hogwarts in the room, room of acquirement and etc. as a human boy. Not a werewolf.
1: <laughs> as a human boy. I thought that was a plot hole in the books. Not specifically with the Draco thing. Let's just ignore Draco for the moment. I thought that was actually like a recognized plot hole but because it doesn't make sense for Fenrir to be running around in wolf form when Lupin isn't. Because don't we see Lupin earlier on in that chapter and he's still
0: human? I don't know if we see him early in the chapter. I know in the movies we see him as a human because he's standing there with tonks and they've got their arms outstretched. He says that line to Kingsley. Yeah, I thought
1: this was just like a recognized plot hole. Like, So either Lupin has done something to stay in human form, which as we know is impossible, or I think it's more likely that Fenrir wasn't in wolf form and he was running around and just attacking people. And he only seemed like a wolf because of how vicious he is normally. Hmm. Like, I'm just trying to remember if it specifically says in the book, like, Fenrir in his wolf form attacks Lavender. Because I think it just says, like, Fenrir Greyback charges past and attacks Lavender and bites her. And you're like, oh, fuck. But then it's okay because he did that exact same thing to Bill Weasley.
0: Harry says that he saw a flash of grey and then Fenrir Greyback is on top of Lavender biting at her. So the assumption for me was that Fenrir Greyback was a grey wolf.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I think he's just yeah. his normal self and he has gray hair or something.
0: Hmm. Another thing, which is I, I have so many plot holes. The movie is plot hole city. Like, especially like the, the Prison of Azkaban gave us so much, but it also gave us so many plot holes and changed the the, the cinematic universe so drastically. So in Prison of Azkaban, it states that there are other ways to become a werewolf despite being bitten. But Pottermore says that no, the only way to become a werewolf is to be bitten by one at a full moon. Professor of Azkaban says that werewolves can transform at will or when hearing the howl of another werewolf. But the book Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them negates this. Only the full moon can transform a man into a werewolf. And the Professor of Azkaban also claims that a werewolf's soul is damned and cannot move on from the mortal plane after death. That's in the movie. However, we know that in the seventh book and in the seventh movie, Lupin appears to Harry through the resurrection stone as a ghost. We're not sure if that is actually an actual ghost, but we know that there's a, there's a hint there that Lupin has moved on to the afterlife with Tonks. So (laughs) that's just a a bit of a rant about plot holes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This is why listeners, if you go all the way back to episode two uh, is the Cursed Child canon. Gem and I have this big discussion where we go through all of the different Artifacts of the Harry Potter universe and decide how canon we consider them. You consider books and movies equally canon. I do not. (laughs) The books are canon. The movies are adaptations. No,
0: I don't. I don't. I've never said that. Yes, it is. That's what you said in that episode. No, I didn't. I said that the books are canon. The seven original texts are canon. And then the movies are canon unless they directly negate what is stated in the series, in the series of books. Right, that's true. That's what you said. Unless I do it negate or defile what is said in the original text, to quote myself posthumously. Thank you very much for <laughs> posthumously. You're hearing me from beyond the grave, <laughs> listeners. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll be dead by the time we release this. Ah, <laughs> oh, back to judging goes after choking on a grave. Okay, so I just wanted to reference two things from the movies which sort of play into this theory, but I won't say they're direct evidence because I don't consider the movies canon. So in the eighth movie, or seven part two, that weird hug scene with Draco and Voldemort. That's so weird. If you watch that scene again, the idea in your head that Voldemort no longer thinks of Draco as a person, but thinks of him like a dog. It fits. He treats him like a pet. I think the actual line is come Draco. Then Draco walks over into him and he gives him like a weird pat hug thing and he's like, Now run along to your family. It fits. If Voldemort's like, this person is not a human, he's a dog now.
0: I <laughs> I don't accept that as evidence because that that is the weirdest thing in the entire cinematic Harry Potter experience. Um <laughs> And I don't think there's any explanation behind that besides what. (laughs) So I would accept that as evidence that Draco is in fact a werewolf. You could see that as Draco's- You could still see that as Draco is a Death Eater and a human boy, and Voldemort is just welcoming the first Death Eater onto his side. And he's just very bad at being welcoming because he doesn't know how humans interact. (laughs) Exactly. He doesn't know how to do things properly with emotional anything. So- you can believe that he's just being welcoming. It's just an awful scene to watch it. I just, I think, ugh, I think when I actually saw that in cinemas for the first time, I couldn't take it seriously. I actually did laugh. I was like, what? <laughs> no, I remember it being chilling. I was
1: terrified. The other piece of movie evidence that I have is I've referenced this before in our Wolf Star episode. Something happens, and nobody knows what it is. Something happens in the third movie which J.K. Rowling has said this actually foreshadows something which was going to happen later in the series. So I think books five, six, and seven, there's something in those books which is foreshadowed in the third movie, and nobody knows what it is because she's never explained herself. This could be referring to the moment in Defense Against the Dark Arts class where Draco mimics a werewolf and howls.
0: That could be foreshadowing of him being a werewolf. Yep, that's all. Sure, it could be referring to that moment. It could be referring to that moment or it could be referring to literally any other moment in the movie. <laughs> Answer me this: If Draco Malfoy was a werewolf was turned into a werewolf, why didn't JK. Rowling ever write that into the sixth or seventh book at all? Okay, my theory there is that it was supposed to be a big plot line in
1: book six, so there was supposed to be a big reveal at the end. but it was cut from the end because there was already the big reveal of, Snape is the half-blood prince, and, of course, Dumbledore's death. So she didn't want to detract from those emotional moments by bringing in this werewolf plotline. So she moved it into book seven, but then it was also moved out of book seven because it's just basically not relevant in what is happening in the story, which is, you know, the hunt for the Hallows and Harry's journey and Harry's um, death, resurrection stuff at the end, the Battle of Hogwarts at the end. She's like, there's just nowhere to really explore this, so it ended up getting cut from the series. That's the way I explain it.
0: It's just not relevant to Harry's journey. (laughs) Draco's lycanthropy isn't relevant to Harry's journey. (laughs) Where's the werewolf representation? (laughs) Do you know how many people in the world are dogs? (laughs) You know, you want to know my hot take on this theory that Draco's a werewolf? Here's my theory about Draco being a werewolf. My theory is that Draco Malfoy is the unofficial fandom bad boy who is like an an absolute fan fiction trope and so the idea that he is a werewolf is very exciting and appealing because of the whole supernatural love interest and twilight craze that was happening around the time that the fandom was reading the sixth book and the seventh book so that's why the whole draco malfoy is a werewolf thing really took off what you're talking about is actually a recognized
1: phenomenon in the fandom. It's called Fanon Draco or Leather Pants Draco. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that he's the, the fandom bad boy, Leather Pants Draco, is a, a big deal. Mm. I don't think it entirely
0: negates the theory that he's a werewolf, though. I think it, it loses a lot of the impetus behind it because it's people want Draco Malfoy to be a werewolf. Because they want to like excuse a lot of the behavior that he does, first of all. And they want to be sympathetic towards him. And they want him to be more attractive and appealing. And at the time, werewolves were the hot shit. (laughs) That's true.
1: Uh, Look, I'm willing to agree with all of that. I think that's all very accurate. (laughs) What's interesting to me is that you didn't bring up the number one argument against Draco being a werewolf. Which is that on Twitter in 2015,
0: JK confirmed that he is not a werewolf. (laughs) Oh yeah, I do have that written down. I just forgot to say it. Yeah, JK Rowling herself has confirmed that Draco Malfoy is not a werewolf.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Look, I've said this in the past and I'll say it again.
0: I don't care what JK says. (laughs) Her opinion means nothing to me. We often demand her clarifications and opinions on this podcast, but I reckon if we actually ever did get them, which is impossible. We just wouldn't ignore them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I tweeted her um, about our
1: last episode, the Owls episode, asking for clarification. But I know 100%, if
0: she ever did reply, I'd just be like, this doesn't matter. (laughs) Too bad. If you wanted it to be real, you should have written it in books. She'd probably just say like, oh, it's the inherent magic of the Owls. I'd be like, no, give me... I want semantics. (laughs) I need specific, not just magic. Okay, so I've said everything I have to say
1: about Draco being a werewolf. Um, In conclusion, I think it's a really interesting theory. I really like how it explains certain things. Um, I think the evidence for it is pretty good, like when you consider it all together and don't tear it down piece by piece like Jem has been. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's a really great theory. It's really solid. Ultimately, I don't believe that Draco is a werewolf. I think it's better explained by him being a Death Eater, as you've pointed out throughout your argument.
0: I think it's um, – I, I can agree with you there. Like, I think it's an entertaining theory. Like, I, I read through the theory, of course, before I for my research for this episode, so I know what I was coming up against. And when you do see all the evidence like that piled together, it can be convincing, of course, unless you have seen the sixth movie. This is before the sixth movie came out. But I, do, I don't like it as a theory in terms of – it, I think it depreciates from uh, Draco's character arc. I think if we were to say oh, Draco is a werewolf and that's why he's um, acting so poorly and, that- and why we should have sympathy for him, I think it detracts from the fact that Draco was a bad person. He made a lot of mistakes. He was forced to do things he didn't want to do. And he was still a shitty person by the end of the book. So I wouldn't say that he was a hero at all, but like, it's interesting to see how he developed and matured and really had reality crushed down upon him. And so it's interesting to imagine his character going through all that rather than just explaining away a lot of his behaviors with, oh, he was suffering because he was a werewolf and this was unfair. And also, I think, especially after watching the sixth movie and seeing Tom Felton's portrayal of uh, Draco Malfoy as he went throughout the year and was under all that stress and doing all the experiments, I think it's quite detracting to say that, oh, he was a werewolf. Like, that was just a really good portrayal of a character. I think in that movie, he did the best acting. So, yeah.
1: I definitely. I never interpreted it as um, being a werewolf is somehow an excuse for Draco's actions. I more thought like it's kind of a punishment. Well, it is literally a punishment for Lucius, but it's kind of a punishment for Draco
0: for his like, like a comeuppance.
1: Yeah, a comeuppance. A big for his bigotry. It's like you've always thought you're better than others, and now you are what Wizarding Society terms to be the lowest of the low. So take this big dose of empathy and now you have to fucking live with what you've become. I think it's a good arc for him to be like, huh, suck it. And now you have to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to be a part of Voldemort's world or are you going to turn against him? Yeah, that's why I like the theory. But it doesn't quite play out that way in the books, so I don't think it's real. Yeah, I
0: don't believe it's real. It's just entertaining to think about. Which is what we do here on this show. Okay. Well, I've been Jem. You're willing to tear down every argument that's presented before her host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been Ria. You're willing to believe
1: anything about anything as long as it's referring to a hot teenage boy host. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Podcast Nine and Three Quarters. This show is written and edited by Ria and Jem. You can send us an email at nine and three quarters podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Tumblr at podcast93quarters.tumblr.com or talk to us separately on Twitter. Ria is at Smash and me, Jem, is at Gem underscore Just Gem. Please feel free to send theories or ask us questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com This week's intro music was Malfoy's Mission by Nicholas Hooper. And our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. We'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Hold up!